Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with John McDonald. He is the CEO of Clear Object, Indiana's leading internet of things systems integrator and Inc. Magazine's fastest growing IT services company in Indiana for 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017. Clear Object is the winner of the 2016 and 2017 Entrepreneur Magazine 360, the 2016 and 2017 Deloitte Fastest 500 in Technology, the 2016 and 2017 CRN Next Gen 250, and the 2015 and 2016 IBM Beacon Awards. He is a board member of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, a member of the IBM Partner World Global Business Party Advisory Council, and a member of the Dean's Council for the Purdue Polytech at Purdue University. John, thanks for being on. How are you? Great. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thanks for being on the show. And and I'm impressed by a lot of the awards that you've received. Um, Not you, but your company. And I mean, it's a team effort. Yeah. yeah. And I think a big thing is is just not only the tech but you know these these magazines have to know what you're you're doing and so can you tell me how your team markets clear object yeah that's a great question so uh, what our business is is we help companies build and run digital products that are uh, driven by the data that are coming from physical products that they offer in the marketplace be that you know automotive components medical devices really anything that's uh, generating data. Um, and so as a result, there are people inside of organizations, we call them entrepreneurs. Um, they are change agents. Uh, they see what's happening to the world around them and then and how it's becoming more and more based on data and digital products. And then they compare it to what's happening inside their company and they are not happy. Uh, some of them in fact are in a near panic. Um, some of them have tried to create digital products and failed. Uh, some of them are um, you know, working very hard to convince people within their own organization that change needs to happen and not necessarily succeeding. So our f- first and foremost task is to find those individuals so that we can engage with them because those are the people that are our key customers. And so they're, they're curious a lot. Um, first of all, there's no consistent job title, uh, you know, they could be a product designer or a lead engineer or a respected architect or in some cases the CEO of the company, uh, which means that there's not like a list you can buy and just spam them, right? Second thing is that um, they're, the little, they're a little elusive when it comes to the standard inbound marketing stuff. Um, you know, they're not necessarily actively posting on Facebook, <laughs> right? Or, re, you know, re- responding on Twitter. They're, they're, a little bit, they're a little bit elusive. And so we've had to develop and really think about strategies to reach these people kind of where they're at with a message that basically says, we get you uh, and we understand what it is that you're trying to do and, and we want to help you. Um, for instance, one of the things that we found is that when we go speak in public about the Internet of Things, um, quite often that those people will just walk up to the stage after it's over, either physically uh, or metaphorically, you know, through email and say, Hey, really enjoyed your talk. Would really like to talk to you about, you know, our company and, and that's them, right? That's them. And so for us, marketing is about reaching those change agents, those entrepreneurs 
with a message that's compelling within their market space that really says, we get you, we get your industry and we want to help. I really like that, that it, I mean, that it is hard to find, you know, you can't classify a job title. You try to create a persona when there's no persona. And so I loved it when you were talking about um, reaching change agents um, of classifying that and have a single mission. Now, we originally wanted to, uh, you wanted to talk about how um, technology is disrupting higher education. So I'm going to kind of go from where you are in the real world with clear object to, you know, how, how does a marketing message of trying to find change agents in higher education, how do you um, take the lessons you learned from clear object and transition those over to how technology is disrupting higher education. Yeah. Well, look, um, the, as I frequently observe to people in public, uh, when I speak, um, the world's biggest car rental company isn't Hertz. It's, it's Uber. And, and curiously, they don't own any cars. Uh, the world's biggest broadcaster is Netflix and they don't own any TV towers. The world's biggest um, hotel company isn't Marriott, it's Airbnb and they don't own any hotels. And then I ask people, you know, how do these companies that didn't even exist eight years ago, they're not just the up and comers in their industry, they're the dominant players and they didn't have to cover off in any of the capital assets of any of their predecessors. So if it's not TV towers and hotel rooms and cars that they own, what do they own? Of course, the answer is data. And, but more deeply than that, what they represent are ways that individuals can offer up their own capital assets, their own time, uh, and uh, to others in directly in a marketplace. Um, it's the car in Uber is your car, right? The, the driver is you and it's your time. And the customer is some random person that happens to be standing on a street corner that an app connects you with. Um, in many ways, this is an extension of what already happened with the underlying technology of computing and, and in the cloud. Prior to the cloud, the, um, the only way for you to build a, an IT infrastructure is to buy it, uh, buy a data center, buy the equipment, buy the time of people to make it all work, buy the time of people to build an application. And it could take weeks, months, years, in some cases, millions of dollars to be able to just start building something. Today, you can walk up to any web browser and within five minutes with a credit card, get any amount of IT infrastructure you could ever dream of. Something that would have been completely impossible prior to the cloud. So cloud is not a technology, it's a procurement mechanism that made IT resources of freely available or near freely available to everybody, primarily line of business people. And really things like Uber and Netflix and others are just an extension of that concept in offering up now cars, hotel rooms, uh, programming, content, products directly to others over the internet with a credit card. And if you extend that model a little bit further and ask yourself the question, what else could be provided directly from one person to another on demand over the internet with a credit card? And the answer is everything, right? And so what that will do 
is it's beginning to transform even what the concept of the business is instead of just being a place where you go, but being an assemblage of resources that you subscribe to for a period of time that in amalgamation are necessary to create a business function for you to hopefully profit from. So with that as sort of the line of logic, um, that um, on-demand subscription model direct from one person to another, if it's true that it applies to everything, it absolutely applies to education and particularly higher education. Um, maybe even more so than in them, some of those other areas. Um, hu humans um, learn best from other humans. The, the best way to learn things since we learned fire from one another was uh, for a human to observe another human doing something and then to attempt to emulate it and then be corrected until you can do it yourself on your own. That's the fundamental way you learn um, by trying, failing, and then being corrected by someone who knows better how to do it. Uh, but in the higher education system, we have um, sullied the simplicity of this in any number of ways, right? First of all, we, we use antiquated methods of deciding whether or not you have what it takes to be able to succeed at a university by judging you on you know, the grading scale that you got in things like English and math and social studies, even if you are intending on going into a field that doesn't require any of them. Um, we uh, charge you immense sums of money for the privilege of going to sit in classrooms and being on campus, so much so that we've indebted a huge swath of our society to the point where it's difficult for them to stay in places with lower salary levels and have to pursue places with higher salary levels because their incomes need to be high enough to cover off on their college debt. Uh, just as a statistic, which is startling to me, the college loan industry has racked up $1.48 trillion of college debt from a little over 44 million active borrowers, a little over 10% of which are in default. That is $620 billion more than all credit card debt combined. It's an immense financial burden on our society that has been loaded up on our young people when they can least afford it. We then put you into campuses and take you away from your home and load you up in, in, in dormitories, in small places with you know, limited support and supplies. And then we expect you to turn all of your learning into three, four, and five credit hours by going between classes and sitting in labs uh, when none of life is organized into three, four, and five credit hours. And the system itself dissuades you from experimentation and trying things that you might fail at. For instance, if you decide that you want to um, try out a class in robotics, you sign up for it and you get two or three weeks into it and you uh, realize that it's not for you, your options now are an incomplete or an F, <laughs> right? And so it dissuades you from trying things that you might fail at. And so you end up taking a much more conservative route to try and get through the system with uh, a degree and some semblance of a GPA 
instead of truly exploring things that might be interesting to you at the university level. Like I could go on, but there's not one thing almost that you can think of related to higher education that screams one-to-one, peer-to-peer, on-demand um, subscription model. It's, it's entirely the opposite of it. Um, and so as a result, it's not hard to see that that system is very likely doomed and that it will likely evolve to a, a model that is much more peer-to-peer, much more on-demand, and to be fair, a much lower cost. John, I completely agree. I, I've what I've seen around um, the indie area with um, you know Don Wetrick with you know the started up ed that you don't have to go to college that you can fail fast and learn from entrepreneurial practices, agile practices. Um, I've even seen done advertising for universities that are trying to do continued education and do online degrees, which you know study at your own pace at your own time, but you're still connected to an individual um, in some way. Like It's like almost like Googling how to do this. <laughs> so when you're talking about this, this um, more of a, it's almost an archaic, almost outdated system um, where, you know, you're, you're paying hundreds of thousand dollars sometimes, or depending on where you go, um, for a piece of paper saying that you can learn. But it doesn't say if you can learn well or you can learn certain ways um, to advance yourself. So um, my big thing, I know that you are very passionate about Clear Object, and obviously, well, the multitude of awards, um, your passion, you know, extends to your your team um, and extends to the company. Um, how do and then your passion for education too. You know, how does your involvement with Clear Object intertwine with with education? How do the how do they come together? Well, um, in a few minutes, um, I'm about to leave to go to my alma mater, Purdue, and I'm going to be, among other things, um, doing two things: one, speaking to a fraternity there that is an entrepreneurship fraternity. Um, so. Uh, admire that greatly have hosted them here at our offices a few times over the years as they evolve their membership as students move through. But, um, one of the benefits of being in a university is there's a tremendous amount of resources that are available to you. If you are a student that you can avail yourself of simply because you're a student. And so, um, organizations like this one, and of course, thousands uh, of others across campuses to attempt to organize those resources and time into things that become opportunities to network, to learn from one another, and to move the needle, ironically, and if not uh, majorly ironically, completely outside the actual classroom experience at the university, which as we talked about a minute ago, is how you learn everything. And so I love supporting organizations like that because I know that that's where the learning really occurs. Um, furthermore, I'm going to spend some time this evening kicking off a hackathon that they're doing around esports. Um, esports is um, a growing field; it's you know analogous to actual sports or physical sports, but it attempts to bring a much wider swath of the population into um, into the fold of the benefits of organized sporting. Um, you see. We're raising the most disconnected, connected generation ever in our history. Um, 
And talking to one another through text messages or Instagram posts is not the same as talking to one another over coffee at Starbucks. Um, and so that lack of fidelity of communication and that isolation, particularly amongst young people that don't have any necessary reason to get together to go be with their friends anymore, um, is what some of us think is actually the problem with some of our school violence issues. It's not that they're playing shoot 'em up games. It's the context in which they're playing them is isolated. Uh, when I was a kid, I got a Atari 2600 and the cartridge that was in the box was combat. It was two tanks shooting at each other, like literally all the way back to when I was a kid, that was a shoot 'em up game where you ended up killing your opponent. He was sitting right next to you. So it's hard to believe that just having a game where the objective is shooting at the other player is the source of the violence, even as the fidelity level of the game has gone up and the experience has gone up. What has changed is the context in which you play the game. Because when I played that game with my friends, I either had to go to his house and his Atari 2600, or they had to come to my house with mine. And I got to be with them and go get a drink of milk or whatever from the kitchen and talk with them about other things while we were playing. You don't have that experience if you're sitting in your basement or at your home and you're not with any of your friends. So what we're trying to do is figure out if there's a way for us to replicate that corporate experience of being together um, while still allowing you to pursue your interests in electronic sports um, as a youngster. And so that event is kicking off tonight. And uh, I'm really, really happy to go be asked to speak to them about this problem and how, what I'm hoping they're going to be able to do. So listen, in summary, the nutshell answer to your question is most of my involvement, most of our company's involvement with higher education is about, the, is about leveraging the amazing resources of universities for things that are socially good. And um, that is a positive thing that I can say about universities is they tend to have both resources and people that are interested in things that are socially good. And, and so, um, you know, I'm happy to do that whenever I can. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, universities and college, they just, they group people together. They have a natural tendency to say, Hey, we're still going to, you know, you're, you're not going to go overseas or you're not going to study online or you're going to actually meet other people and be in a classroom with other people. So I like that. I like that you're, you're giving back to your alma mater. Um, Purdue was my second choice, <laughs> but um, moving, I'm not going to grill you with any more questions, but the um, one, one thing, if you want to share um, an offline background, a story um, of success from either the higher education or the clear object perspective, um, a short little you know story that you want to talk about um, that's not online, that you can't find online um, or you haven't shared. In the, in the professional space, uh, I'll give you a story. One of our customers um, deals in um, one of their projects they're working with, uh, deals uh, with information that's on paper, which is um, a curious source because usually you think that the source of data is some sort of high-tech product or software, but in this case, it's the lowest of low-tech. It's pieces of paper. And these pieces of paper, you know, come into this organization by the hundreds every year, thousands, and they have to key all this information into a computer system that spends a lot of money on doing it. You can imagine how difficult and fraught with errors that can be. And so what we've been able to do is experiment with some of the new APIs that are available on some 
of the cloud platforms that not only enable us to, you know, scan in, if you will, that the image of that page, which is not really that uh, technically interesting, but use those um, pages to train a machine learning model to be able to understand what it's saying. See, fairly recently, uh, five, six years ago, the predominant model was something called big data, as in we need to collect a lot of data and it's got to be big. <laughs> we'll put, I don't know, it's big, we got to have some. Uh, and we'll put it all in a big data warehouse or a data lake or a data ocean or whatever. And then we'll pay really, really high priced people to come in and um, build really complicated algorithms that tell us things to find golden nuggets. Um, and I suppose that worked enough for enough people to do it. And they spent a lot of money certainly collecting all that data. But the model very recently has changed and changed in a very dramatic way. And it, it works like this. Instead of scanning in all of these pieces of paper and then trying to build a algorithm like a programmer would to uh, sort of if then else sift through these pieces of paper and figure out what it says. Today, what we do is we take a small subset of them and we send them to the machine learning algorithm and we correct the algorithm or we correct an algorithm that the machine creates based on reviewing what it did with the forms. And then we send some more forms to it and then we correct it again and then some more and again, and then all of them. And so instead of a human building the algorithm, the machine builds the algorithm. Uh, instead of having to have big data, you have small data to train an algorithm. So we've stopped using the terms um, artificial intelligence because um, it's not intelligence and there's nothing artificial about it at all. Instead, what it is, it's machines now learning based on being shown something, taught something, corrected, failing, and iteratively doing it again. And if that doesn't sound a lot like what I said at the beginning of this conversation about how humans learn, then you miss the point. Because what's happening now is we are now getting to a point where the computers that we create, we've now figured out a way to have them learn like we do as humans. And that's a incredibly powerful thing, an incredibly powerful statement, and it's just happening right now. Um, and it will likely radically change a lot of things, but not the least of which is the, is the approach to data processing itself to go from processing data to learning iteratively from it. So you're saying Skynet will not take over that is what you're, <laughs> that's what everybody's concern is. So um, just moving on to the, to the net, the last part of this episode is, uh, is about you, John. Um, you know, what gets you up in the morning? You know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, this is the reason why I go to work. Um, or this is the reason, you know, what is the reason? What are, what are the reasons when you get up? It's the, you mentioned at the beginning of the call, you, you said we have a lot of awards, you know, that you've earned and then you corrected yourself and said, well, it's the people that did it. It's team play. That's correct. Uh, I, I come here every day, not because I, uh, for any other reason than because of that. I mean, that's what the CEO, ideally what a CEO should do is the visionary as well as being the supporting, you know. The visible, I don't know, cheerleader or, you know, 
the mascot. I mean, we can go there and do like, you know, <laughs> Purdue's mascot. So, I mean, besides, you know, you know, you know, work and everything. Um, what do you do like as a hobby or creatively to kind of reinvigorate that kind of, you know, that work? Because sometimes we 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 just can't focus on things a lot. I mean, we're humans. Well, uh, I am uh, I'm a lay minister at a Lutheran church, <laughs> which is a little random. Uh, so uh, I uh, definitely give my time and energy there. Uh, I like to call it pastor light. So I do a lot of counseling with different people and talk with them about their issues. And I don't really know if I know what to do either, but oftentimes it just really helps. You have a very calming voice. That's, I think that's oh, really? what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. Uh, I attempt to play music on Sunday mornings. It's attempt being the key word in that statement. Um, and uh, not very good at it, an amateur. And uh, I, like, um, I like writing and uh, taking pictures, photography. So I have some books and some websites and things that I do that. That's so, really cool. Yeah. yeah, just different stuff, so, a little random. My last, my last one is um, health. You know, what do you do health-wise? Because, I mean, we, we, we break down. The <laughs> so what do you do health-wise to kind of reinvigorate or, you know, keep um, at a high, you know, focus, a high, you know, en- not a high energy, but a high productivity level? Yeah. Well, uh, everybody around me knows that I like going to this thing called Orange Theory, and nobody likes hearing that. Who isn't with Orange Theory? It's like Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club, but uh, <laughs> I, it's a it's pretty intense, uh, you know, sort of a high impact um, cross training workout that I love because it's scheduled and you get in, you get out. It's every hour on the hour and sort of gamified, teched up, um, just really fits me and, uh, fits a lot of people too. So I do that, uh, three, four times a week, pretty early in the morning, as early as I can, just to kind of, uh, shake the dust off of stuff. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's one of my favorite things to do. And I love cooking. Um, I don't subject people to it. Cause I'm probably not that good at it, but I like doing it. So <laughs> no Bobby Flay. I'm guessing no, 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 no <laughs> second career being a chef. It's all right. I mean, they always have those prepaid, you know, pre, you know, prepared meals and all that kind of stuff or those meals out of the box. And you're like, Hey, I've created this. Perfect. Perfect. Exactly. Right. Well, John, thanks for a lot for talking about, you know, clear objects, you know, internet of things, machine learning, um, how technology is disrupting, um, higher education, and then talking a little bit about yourself um, and and letting the Converge Coffee drinkers out there get to know you a little bit more too. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad to have done it. And for everybody out there, check out Clear Object and John McDonald. And that's a wrap.